45. Mm -hmm. Porter. Porter. We're ready, Mayor. We're good. Yes. Kurt. Yes. Thank you, everyone, and welcome to the Tuesday, November 8th, 2022 Lawrence City Commission meeting. We will begin with some announcements of how these proceedings will go from Porter Arneal. Thank you, Mayor. Good evening, everyone. I just have a few housekeeping items for the Zoom meeting tonight. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting unless you are speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating in the meeting, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And now I'll turn the meeting back over to Mayor Shipley. Thank you, Porter. Uh, next, we'll have some explanation from Sherry Riedemann about how public comment works. Thank you, Mayor. When the mayor calls for public comment, individuals in person, excuse me, individuals attending in person should approach the podium to indicate they wish to speak. The podium can be raised and lowered, and we encourage you to use this feature to ensure your comments are heard. Individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. Please leave your virtual hand raised until you are called on. Individuals will be called on in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. Please remember to state your name before speaking and all comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you, Sherry. Our first order of business will be to approve the agenda. The city commission reserves the right to amend, supplement, or reorder the agenda during the meeting. Uh, are there any motions to change the agenda or motions to approve? I move to approve the agenda. I second. I have a first and second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 That passes five to zero. That brings us to public comment. The public is allowed to speak on issues or items that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. Individuals should address all comments and questions to the commission. Comments should be limited to issues and items germane to the business of the governing body. The commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented during this time. Each person will be limited to three minutes. Is there any public comment in the room? <laughs> Mayor, can you hear me? Yep, thank you. Commissioners, staff, most importantly of all, thank you for giving me the opportunity to make some comments to the city commission. The first thing I need to do is find out, can you guys hear me out there? Okay, I think there's about 100 people more or less. I tend to exaggerate a little bit, but if the we got to count, there'd be 100 people out there that are here. And I think the significance of that 
is that there's a lot, it's not because everybody likes me. It's because there's a lot of people out there that want to see something done with this issue of uh, the, the, the issue that it's facing our nation, our county, and our community. And that's all that goes with affordable housing, mental health, the whole ball of wax. And I'm not going to waste my time talking to you about that because I'd be preaching to the choir. You know how hard it is. And I think that the opportunity for these people, a lot of these people have never been to a city commission meeting before. They're going to get an opportunity to see government in action. And a lot of these people are concerned and want to help with solutions. So that's why they show up to these things. Um, I really want to just talk about my specific in, uh, situation at Johnny's in North Lawrence about Eight weeks ago, a camp was opened over there. I've seen the plan. I agree with the plan. I think it's very, you know, we got to do it. And it's going to take three to eight years. And it's going to take a lot of money, just like Matt says. So we got some hard decisions to make. But once we start doing these little things, I think we need to do them right. And it seems to me like the idea was to because we were trying to avoid a lawsuit and we were trying to help things out, it seems to me like we've kind of just dove right in without being ready to do it. We built the camp with funds. We hired two people to work it out, but we don't have enough people to staff it now. The first two weeks, it was awesome. 42 tents, Jen, Sissel, uh, Mitch, the camp mom all did a great job. And now what's happened is then there was 20 four tenths, then there was 60, then there was 80. And I'm not prepared to open up Johnny's Tavern until there's some control back there. And I, you've seen my three things I want. I think they're very reasonable. I think they're doable. We could negotiate them in two minutes. And I'm not drawing a line in the sand. I want to work with you, but I've got to see some actions for the safety of the community. Thank you very much for listening to me. Thank you. Thank you guys for coming. The beer's on Chuck Mogrel. <laughs> Good evening, Madam Mayor, Commissioners. My name is Ted Boyle, President of North Lawrence Improvement. And I'm here in full support of Mr. Renfro and his attempt. Uh, to maybe get something done because uh, North Lawrence Improvement Association has been barking at the wall for the last four or five years. And I will tell you, since this campsite's been put behind Johnny's, uh, incidents have increased in North Lawrence. Uh, houses being broke into, uh, which some commissioners call that hearsay, even though it's documented on cell phone, county commissioner and a city commissioner. And so, uh, you know, if this will get the attention of the commission, uh, then uh, we support this endeavor with Mr. Renfro and also all the businesses downtown. I'm part of that group. Uh, we are the only neighborhood uh, association that is part of the business district uh, downtown and we support them a hundred percent. Something has to be done 
this is migrating and just escalating and it's uh, making the neighborhood an unsafe place. Uh, the walkability of North Lawrence, nobody wants to walk the levee anymore. Nobody walks in the evening or at night anymore. And uh, also, we don't want these in our parks at night. And uh, the camping back there, that needs to have regulations and stipulations and the rules of law, just like the rest of us follow. <clears throat> to have an open campsite and just people come and go as they please and non-monitored in at nighttime, uh, that's ridiculous. I mean, uh, the lack of common sense uh, just amazes me. So anyway, I just want to let you know that we support uh, Mr. Renfro's endeavor. Thank you. Thank you, Ted. Hi, uh, I'm Clavin Snow and I live on Elm Street in North Lawrence and uh, I was on my way to the depot in North Lawrence. That's my polling location. And I saw a woman holding a sign that says city county sanctioned homeless camp closes Johnny's standing at the entrance to the parking lot. Uh, this wasn't an issue we were voting on, but I did speak with her as well as the protesters lining the sidewalk in front of Johnny's all holding the same signs. It seemed obvious to me that they were protesting the camp as their signs clearly indicated that the camp had interfered with their business, but they told me they were not protesting protesting the camp, just the way it was being governed. They felt there was uh, not room for the number of people being housed there, not enough security to ensure that no one was acting disruptively, and not enough city staffing during the event and uh, during the evening, I'm sorry, in nighttime hours. I was told that Johnny's would be closed until some demands were met. I tend to agree that ideally there would be more room so that everyone could have a good amount of personal space. I agree that security to protect folks whose homes cannot be locked would be tremendously helpful to them. And I agree that if there were 10 gins instead of one from the city and one from the camp, things would probably be running more smoothly right now. But this is a project that I applaud. I've been at the camp with donations several times and every time I've gone, the residents have been helpful, agreeable and courteous. Not once have I ever felt threatened or unwelcome in any way. The camp was well populated, but it did seem but it did not seem cramped. And eventually someone was always found to open the storage and receive the donations. The camp is not without problems. The donations that come from outside of North Lawrence are few and far between. Thus North Lawrence has borne the greatest burden of support. In addition, there is no source for potable water in the camp. The only spigot they have access to requires them to boil the water before it is safe to drink. There is current currently a neighborhood drive for donations, including water and food, but enthusiasm for the drive will not last forever. I recognize that the city is doing the best they can with the resources that they have, and I simply ask that the pressure from businesses would not be allowed to create an environment where people without homes are obligated to have their freedoms restricted in order to access the services provided. To the residents of the camp, if they are feeling intimidated by the temperament of animus that many have shown against them, I support offering the camp some protection, that they are not children, they are not being violent, and they do not need babysitters. As for the crowding, I can't support turning them away. I know the plan is eventually to have more camps available and move people into more permanent housing so they won't have to call a campsite home anymore. I support those plans and I hope to see them thrive. But until we are able to see momentum on additional camps and renovated buildings, we will need to adapt to our neighbors in need. Many of us find it good to give money to charities that support the poor. I would ask that we try to maintain that spirit when it's simply our fate to encounter the poor. We are called to adapt to their needs and welcome them as our new neighbors. 
I do petition the city and the Housing Initiatives Division to provide all the support they are able, and hopefully Johnny's can make peace with the camp and open their doors. But I don't support making peace at the expense of people's freedom or autonomy, and not if it means denying them Time. access to services due to the volume of people in need. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, Spencer Renfro here, and I just wanted to reiterate something that might have gotten left off um, Rick's speech earlier, is that we are for the camp. We want to help these people out here, and we understand that there's only a small portion of the people that live in the camp behind our building are the problem problem child children out there, right? So we just want to make sure that we that that's heard, that we support this, and we want to support it. But all these people out here, they're here because in one way or the another they have been scared walking out into the parking lot taking the trash out at night um, coming in after their rugby games and so on so we just want to make sure that there's some control out there and, and it can be safe for our customers and staff we do support the camp and we want to make sure that it's a well run and the people inside the camp get the care and, and uh, things that they deserve and that they need thank you Good evening, commissioners. My name is uh, Maria Ferreiro. I am a, a community member and a housing advocate. And I just, um, there's a lot of concern when this was uh, featured in the newspaper. And I know there's been a lot of conversation around how to address this issue. And I just want to reiterate some realities that this is a concern of housing and safe quality housing and folks having access to that housing that has been decades in the making and there has been a lot of work and a lot of effort on the part of those in social service agencies in the city and the county to address these concerns and to try to be as collaborative as possible in creating solutions. We know that shelter is not the answer. We know that camps are not the answer. We know that housing is the answer. And we have been working and there has been an open invitation for work groups to address emergency shelter services and camping that has been going on for months. And we are working towards solutions and we want to be collaborative with with community members. We want to hear and understand their concerns, but we also want to address the realities that we understand that one spot is not the solution. We actually made the recommendation as a group to have multiple spaces and we'll continue to push for that. Um, so it, it's not without the effort of these groups, both community grassroots, social services, and city that are doing the labor and that are making the recommendations to actually put some action forward. It's disheartening to hear the upset and the demand for immediate access, immediate access to services when we just are at full capacity. And so my hope is that the community will understand that we are working towards these solutions. I know the city's new department is working very hard, tirelessly and endlessly, and if there could be more room for more support at that site and to open multiple sites, we would have already done it. We are working on it. We will come to you with more solutions, and we will not stop until we start bridging the gap of homelessness to housing. Thank you. Thank you.
Good evening, commissioners, mayor. Uh, my name is Mike Humphrey. I am the owner of Gaslight Gardens uh, there in North Lawrence, uh, right across the street from Johnny's Tavern, uh, 317 North 2nd Street. Um, Johnny's, I'm, I'm more or less here to just echo some sentiment from from Spencer and Rick um, you know since I've owned that bar we've kind of shared a symbiotic relationship um, uh, we're, they're great neighbors um, and I really wish I could stand in solidarity with them uh, and, and closing but right now is just not the time I can't forfeit the sales but um, it wasn't really until very recently that I understood that Johnny's has carried the brunt of a lot of stuff as of late uh, and now that they're closed I do fear that a lot of that's probably gonna come my way um, I'm here because I uh, I'm expressing concern for my patrons uh, my staff uh, some of whom are there into the late hours of the morning um, by themselves. Um, and I know that there's no easy solution. And whenever anybody comes to me with a problem, I want them to have a solution. And I, I wish I had an easy one for you um, to just knock it out of the park. But, um, you know, I think all of my solutions are kind of the, the long con um, you know, this community needs to keep focusing on what uh, the pr previous presenter was talking about. You know, we need um, we need things for uh, addiction. Um, we need things for uh, affordable housing, and so on, and so on, and so on. But um, yeah, I just uh, I, I want to help you guys work on a feasible solution to what has been developed. I'm 100% support of what, is, what has been established, but it's just kind of gotten a little out of hand. So uh, that's all I have for you. Thank, Thank you. you. Good evening, my name is Sherry Thompson. Um, I'm not a local business owner, I'm just a nurse. But I'm here um, tonight to um, give you um, just my view of, um, I would really like to support anything that Rick and Nancy and Spencer Renfro are doing with Johnny's Tavern. As you know, the Renfros have long been community partners, have been very established community partners, and have been philanthropic in this community. It's a problem, homelessness is a problem. Our local businesses, not only the Renfros, but other locally owned businesses have been hit hard with COVID and now they're being hit with homelessness. Lawrence has always been the um, great city and county to got a problem, get a plan. And I implore you to keep working on it and keep getting a plan because Lawrence can and should and will do better. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry. Hi. This is really hard for me. I'm Morgan Michaels. I own a, a business right past Johnny's in Lawrence called The Lot. 
Um, we're a used car lot, and we've been there for about five years now. And from the very beginning, we've been stolen from. We have been vic victimized to about everything that the homelessness in North Lawrence has done to us. Um, it's been presented to the police probably 50, 60 times. We've reported the last incident was a few weeks ago. Two people walked right up to our building, went through our mail, took our mail, walked over to a car, broke all the back windows out of the car, the alarms went off, they took off. We called the police, we gave them all the documents, all the videos, all the evidence. They did absolutely nothing. Um, we were driving around in North Lawrence, we saw these people, we called the police, the police met with them, which in turn we have to face them face to face and say yes, that's who's on our camera that did this. 45 minutes later, we're at our local grocery store we go to every week and there they are and they attack my husband, they spit on him, they, they physically harm him. Um, the police are called by multiple people at the grocery store. Um, the people had ran. They were arrested. The guy was actually just sentenced to eight months. Um, I can't even be by myself there anymore because they come all day. They just walk up, ask for everything. I can't imagine being an 18-year-old bartender and having to walk out my job and have someone standing there. I just can't imagine it. Um, we support multiple homeless people. Um, we hire them, they clean stuff for us. In the summer and the winter, we also own a moving company. We've hired multiples of them to help move people, clean our trucks. Um, we give food every week to the camp. We give water almost every single day. Uh, we have a portable shower that we've created on the side of our building to allow them to shower. We give to them, and a lot of them give back to us by helping protect our business. But there's a lot of them that say they want to live there because they need to live there. They have to live there, but there's a few select people that come in and destroy the camp. Multiple homeless people would like protection there for themselves. They want someone to come there and monitor them from nine to three. They want to do better for our community, but our community is not doing better for them. Um, as a small business owner, like, I, it sounds great to be a business owner, but it's so much. And when you don't feel safe where you work, how terrible is that as a woman to walk into Time. work and not feel safe? We just want safety. Thank you. Is there any other public comment in the room? My name is Penny Dubasar Cross. I'm not a resident of North Lawrence. I live in the Pinckney neighborhood. Um, we lived there for 27 years. Our residential walk is typically by now the park and the pond, but no more. We don't feel safe. I'm tired of seeing trash. I've been in social services for probably 35, maybe so many years of my life. And it's fine to help people, but you cannot unbalance things, and that's how I feel what's happening here. I don't mind helping people, but I also feel like I'm being ignored as well. 
I'm expected to pay taxes, keep my sidewalk cleared, you know, take care of my property, donate whatever, but now I feel like I'm not being noticed. And right now, I have a neighbor in my back neighborhood behind us who has three people camping there, three tents, two dogs that don't belong there, causing problems. We've called in, is this appropriate? They're urinating in the backyard. This is only part of it. But we are enabling people in some ways. And what's going to happen, and this is what I'm afraid has happened to me, I care about people, but I'm hitting my limit. I feel like I'm not being cared about, and how much am I supposed to do as a citizen to help, to educate, and what is happening? And the thing is, you're going to run out of people who are going to be willing to help, to support the taxes, to support the homeless, and not all the homeless are the same. Not all of them are mentally ill, not all of them don't want to work, some do whatever, but I don't feel like we're really taking a look at the people that do want some help, let's help them. The other folks, what are we to do? If they need total services, let's find the services, create the services. But right now, I don't feel like enough is being done, and I am really really tired of it, and I don't know what I can do. We've written in, we've talked, we've complained to the city, you know, no response. And to say we're working on it, great. To say it's a complicated problem, so what else is new about life? So what are we going to do? What am I going to do now? I don't know. How can I live in this community anymore? I don't feel safe. I can't even walk where I want to retire to walk in my own neighborhood. Thank you. Thank you. Public, uh, further public comment in the room? Sure. I'm just a community member. Um, and all I'm asking during all of this is that we put the homeless first during all of this. It's very difficult uh, to try to reach these compromises. Uh, I can't think of a place that's ever solved the homeless crisis. There's, we're doing some pretty bold efforts here. But what's important is to make sure that uh, we listen to people that are prioritizing taking care of these people rather than trying to just push them from place to place. Um, Thankfully here, I don't think that's the predominating attitude. I think honestly, uh, the people at Johnny's North have been uh, rather generous and rather uh, supportive of this program. And so as long as we can reach that compromise that doesn't compromise the freedom of the homeless people, of people who, again, as other people say, aren't children, they're not animals to be moved about. And I know there's some people here that can't really mask their contempt for the homeless. Um, they're trying. They're the best. And I would just ask you to try not to be jerks to the homeless. Um, controversial, I know. That's all I have to say. Thank you. I would love to speak on behalf of the homeless. My name is James Paul Richard. I've been here till the end of April of this year, and I've been at a camp since then. That camp has been more better than the other camps that I have heard from. But a lot of the incidents that uh, somebody's trying to, to say we is all fault, I've been told by a few people around my camp that it's mostly the problems or the incidents been having that outside Johnny's parking lot at night. 
people getting kidnapped. Oh, yes. Drug up may look like we did it, but it's not true. And that I can't say, and I have a witness. Miss Tiffany, right here, can tell you also. Thank you. Please do. <clears throat> Hi, my name's Tiffany Kopp. I had an incident behind Johnny's Tavern about a month and a half ago. I was sexually touched by a older black gentleman. <laughs> Sorry. I went to go into Johnny's Tavern. I asked one of the employees there if I could sit in there until I found someone to walk me back to camp because I did not feel safe. I'm not one of the people that causes problems there. I get that there is some, but I'd like to be able to go somewhere safe. I don't like the discriminatory and everything that's going against us, per se. I'd like to be able to still go in there and buy food. I'm a, I live in Lawrence, Kansas. It's not any different than any of you guys going in there and buying food. I'm a person. I should be able to go in there and buy food. I'm trying to get a job. I just would like to be able to go in there and people not say, well, you can't go in there. It's just not right <laughs> in my eyes. I don't have anything else to say right now. Thank you. Thank you. I know you guys know who I am. I'm Tim Olson. And I'm not going to start the normal way I do. I'm an American. There is no reason when I walk into Johnny's Tavern, I got money in my pocket, and they refuse to serve me? What country are we in? That isn't any way legal. I'm sorry, that is totally illegal. And I don't care if they want to close that place up. I would be proud to say I helped close that place down. I would want to do so. If they did not, if you guys don't do, if they don't close it on their own, I'll find a lawyer that'll help me. It's illegal, it's discrimination. I am who I am, I can't help who I am. I fell into this hole because I lost my brother, he went up north. Not as in loss, as in personal loss that way. I just lost him, he went his way, and I went mine. I can't make it on my own. It's an expensive town. Understand, we have two colleges. That doesn't make it any better for any of us. 750, studio apartment, yay. I can almost make it. I get 786, I'm gonna be taking my retirement. What I got, 30 bucks, yay. Food stamps, whew, thank God. You guys don't understand, this is ridiculous. These people don't understand. They have homes, they have a life, they have family. I have none. I think it's wrong, we all need to be real. We are all human, are we not? Yes. Thank you. I love everybody here, but I don't wanna be discriminated upon. We all deserve to be heard. 
We all deserve a place to live. I, I, I have no anger towards anyone. I would bring them all the roads daily if I could afford to. I swear to God, that's the person I like to be. I walk down the street. I grab a handful of flowers and I walk down and I just hand it to somebody and say, just a smile and walk away. That's all I want, happiness. I'm not out to hurt anyone. Nobody is. And if they are, that's what our police department will handle. That's why we have them. Thank God. It's okay. I like that. Thank you guys for listening to me. Thank you, Tim. Any other public comment in the room? Melanie Valdez, Interim Executive Director at Lawrence Community Shelter, and I'm back here again. Um, I just want to say that I do understand uh, where the businesses are coming from, and I will openly say that I was approached quite a while back to ask about the back parking lot at LCS being used um, for a campsite, and my first question was, would it be staffed by the city? And I was told no. And what I do find interesting is, as Rick was saying, whenever it was 40, around 40 people, it felt manageable. And as those numbers increased, they saw increases in conflicts and issues that were impacting their businesses. And when LCS was at 40, we felt it was manageable. We bumped up to 50 to try to meet the needs of the community the best we could. And I can tell you, going up those 10 people, it increased conflict and, and concerns that we had to deal with exponentially. And I have said that I'm not sure we can do 125. And the reason that I say that is because I've never seen it. But I have heard stories about sexual assaults and um, violence within there. And as our mission, we cannot do more harm to the people we serve than good. As an employer, we have responsibilities to our employees, and it is an emotional place to work. Do I want to meet the community need? I absolutely do. We want to do it, to do it in a responsible way. We want to make sure we are not harming the people we serve or causing further trauma. Um, we want to make sure that we are responsible for our employees' well-being as well. And I also want to say that at the campsite, that all of this attention is doing harm. It's becoming a spectacle, uh, a tourist attraction, and it is taking an emotional toll on the people out there. Um, and I know as a community, we have all been working very hard, including the city and the county. And Jen Woolsey out there every day, and Cicely, us working together and trying to collaborate and find the answers. And as you all know, it is not easy. Um, and even I don't have a solution. I don't know. But I do want to say that the shelter is willing to do more. But we can only be as successful as the community makes us and helps us to be. And I would um, invite people to volunteer to offer services 
skills, whatever they have to offer that can help us get into a better position and strengthen our foundation so that we can provide more services. Thank you. Thank you. I'm a carpenter by trade, and I would be very proud of you. Good evening, commissioners and city staff. Um, my name is Brady Flannery. I'd like to remind you all and bring attention to a letter that was drafted on and submitted to uh, city staff and city commission, or excuse me, uh, city commission and county commission on Friday, October 14th, offering to be part of the table. Um, we understand the position you're in. All of us share the desire to find a humane and um, worthy solutions, albeit short-term solutions. Over 100 different people have since joined that cause. Local stakeholders downtown, business owners, property owners, and community members, and nearly 100 signed that letter. I think what we might lose sight of is that those are all employers. The Renfro family and the Johnny's team is making this action, not to speak for them, but I imagine as an employer first, community member second. And when they say it's unsafe for my employees to come to and from work, when I'm saying that to you, that I have concerns about the parking garage and the streets, this is an 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. issue that we're facing downtown that, that most of um, the community members signed up and voiced concern. The main part of that letter coming to you is offering an umbrella which to stand under and strengthen you. So please let us know how we can help, but we are asking for leadership and we are asking for real solutions. Any other public comment? I would like to know three minutes if I may have so. Hi, this is Chris Flowers, and I, I am totally behind um, doing more for the homeless. I, and I totally support, like, staffing the camp. I think we need more than just one camp. Like they said, uh, I heard earlier mentioned that it wasn't a problem when it was just 40. So would it not be a problem if there were, like, two or three and they never got above 40 spread throughout the town? Because it sounded like right when it was just 40 up there, it wasn't that much of a problem. And also, I just want the commission to, I mean, there are people here genuinely concerned first about the homeless, and then some, I think, are more concerned about what the, what, how it impacts them. And something that just I found interesting is that they're asking for staffing at this camp from, was it, 9 to 2 when Johnny's is open? So... Are we asking to to have someone at the homeless camp to protect the homeless from the people from Johnny's? I mean, why wouldn't the homeless need protection um, after two o'clock in the morning? Like, why is it just when Johnny's is open that they need protection? I think it's because it might be they might the people asking for the staff might be more concerned about what the homeless are going to do, you know, to them. And that's I mean that's kind of I think it's like kind of false, you know, when we're acting like it's all about the homeless when actually it's more about 
protecting yourself from the homeless. But I mean, I totally support more staff for the homeless. And also, another thing, I just, I, he's not here tonight, uh, but Dr. Spee's um, the candidate running for county commissioner. He's released a video about his solution to the homeless. And the guy who refer, refers to himself as Trump on steroids wants to put them all at the, um, at the community shelter, like all of them. And so if, if you're in the, the, if you think the solution is just putting them all in the community shelter, you're, you're supporting the, the same position that the guy who calls himself Trump on steroids is. So thank you. Is there any other public comment in the room? Good evening, commissioners. It's good to see you all. Uh, my name's Micah Ann Cox, they, them pronouns, nothing more, nothing less. I'm gonna read a statement because I am at capacity with the work I do outside of this, um, but I needed to be here tonight um, to share this. When did the city commission's role become prioritizing business owners over the people of this community, both housed and unhoused? Not one person forced Rick to close Johnny's. That was his decision based on his discomfort. For how much, uh, sorry, the idea that safety is being discussed, completely excluding the safety of our houseless community members is astonishing to me. For how much support was mustered up for Johnny's Tavern and its ability to reopen, hopefully tomorrow as the LJ World article said. How many of you here tonight in support of Johnny's Tavern are committed to doing this work? How many of you are here to volunteer at the emergency winter shelter, which always needs volunteers? Or is the priority truly not supporting our houseless community? Is it instead protecting our safety and our comfortability? We have people from the camps that have walked through this space tonight advocating for themselves in a space that has felt nothing to me but disrespectful and unhuman. And we are entertaining a private business owner's uncomfortability. Are we listening to these communities or do we not view unhoused members as a part of the community when we are the ones who have failed them? Any other comment? I personally don't see Rick Stand as being against the homeless. This is Michael Lawrence Accountability. What I see it is against what you guys have not done. Instead, you've thrown about a half a million dollars toward art. Just think how far that half a million dollars could have gone. And I'm talking about the police station and the multimodal facility that you're going to build and you're going to put $200,000 worth of art out in front of it. I want to ask some of these homeless advocates how far that $200,000 would go. Or maybe just 150 of it. Maybe if we limited art purchases to $50,000, we could take that other 150 and solve this problem. But instead, you guys take our money and blow it on art and leave these people out to dry. Both sides. Both sides. I don't think Rick's against the homeless. I think Rick's against a do-nothing commission, and I apologize if I'm speaking out of turn for Rick. Hi. Um, my name's Sarah, and I'm currently homeless. Uh, on and off throughout the years. I'm not here to try and get anyone's attention or vie. Like, I understand Johnny's has, has had to put up with a lot of different things uh, since there has been a community of homeless sheltered behind him, and it can get pretty crazy. But um, I don't think that this thing with him shutting down as a protest is the appropriate action because it's hurting the families and his employees 
first and foremost. Secondly, in the whole time I've been homeless, I've never been raped or mugged. And I've never raped or mugged anyone else either. I mean, I don't know if that stands for most people, and I don't know statistics. Um, but if I were, you know, anyone, I, one of the things I would look into is since the opening of the October thing, how much crime rate in rapings and muggings has spiked. Um, also, I, I would like to say it, it is kind of an uneasy feeling having close to 90 different people, personalities, men and women, all in one little tent city. It's very uneasy. Sometimes it's hard to go to sleep at night. You know, there's usually noises throughout all the night, throughout all the day. I don't think this nine to two thing is really gonna help much. And you know, what's it gonna do but cause more strife and more, I mean, sure, if, if, I mean, if you guys feel it helps, you know, but it already feels with this fence, honestly, like we're in a freaking concentration camp. We're already ostracized by society. People walk by us and look down. I don't even ask people for money. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I'm human too. Please give me the courtesy I give you, and I try and give everyone courtesy and respect. Thank you. Any more comment? I'm Savannah. I just wanted to recenter this conversation a little bit because housing is a basic human right and we're talking about people who are living without a basic human right. And to everyone complaining about this, I ask you, what have you done to help this community? The winter shelter is still looking for volunteers. They're still looking for meals delivered. And what have you done to educate yourself on the complexities of these issues? Because complaining with no action does nothing. Thank you. Any other comment? Let's make sure there's no one online. If you are online, raise your digital hand. Sherry Watts. Okay. Sorry, Mayor. Is there someone else? Hello? Go ahead, Stephen. Thank you so much. I had requested, I had sent in data to be put on the screen while I'm speaking. Okay, no, that's not the one. Oh, we got to scroll down, please. And let's, there you go, Keith. There you go. You know, thank you so much. That's great city staff can do that. And just before I talk, you know, the Lawrence powers that be, they don't think about organized living group members urinating in lawns and this, that, and the other. So that's something to think about. But in December of 2019, I learned the town police instruct people to obtain police reports via the website crashdocs.org. CrashDocs is owned by Carfax, which is an American company that provides vehicle data to individuals and businesses for a price. Its best known product is the Carfax Vehicle History Report. I did not understand why the town police was sending local accident data to this private company. I sent email after email to the town executive team, including the chief of police, asking what was going on. No response was ever received, but I was informed two days ago by Mr. Lockhart of the town's use of crash docs. He touted it saved 
us people, $5 per copy of accident report. But you know what? That $5 is only because that's what Rich has decided to charge us to get reports. The cost was pulled out of thin air. There are many questions, a couple of which are how much police department time is put into uploading this data to the crash docs company. Surely the same amount of money being charged to townspeople for Kansas open records request is being charged, if not more to enable a for-profit company to prosper off the accidents in Lawrence, Kansas. That is how many man hours are required to upload the data. Is there a crash docs employee who has been given access to our town's police database? What interface is used to make certain there's no breach of security? What other data is being uploaded by the town police department to what other databases? The wholesale turning over of citizen data by town government departments is wholly unacceptable. Please direct to stop the use of crash docks by the town police and please direct the town, the town police department to provide traffic accident reports at no charge to the public. What is the budget of this town department? He said rhetorically, you're seeing on your screen crashdocs.org. This is a for-profit company that is I'm milking the town of Lawrence data. Thank, Thank you. you Stephen. That's all the public comment on. Um, I, yeah, she's got it. Yes. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Hello, uh, my name is Howard Callahan. I work for Nash Community Mental Health Center on their homeless outreach team. Um, formerly worked at the shelter. I've worked in homeless advocacy for quite some time. Um, just, just a general introduction. Um, I'm down at the camp um, probably two, three days out of the week. Um, and my understanding is that of the incidents that have occurred down there um, in the last month or so that the vast majority of them have been folks that are not actually staying at the camp. Now some of those are probably folks that, you know, know folks that are there and that are visiting. Um, and I've seen um, the, you know, the uh, Jen and Jen and the um, folks that are trying to manage down there kind of at wit's end um, from time to time trying to figure out, you know, how to manage that. I think more staffing um, sounds like it's probably in the works and it, I think that would probably be a good idea. Um, I think the tone around policing <clears throat> um, in some ways is a little bit misguided. The idea that like lockdown and control is the desired goal. Um, I don't know if that'll be as effective as people seem to think it is. Um, I do think that <coughs> having enough people there to be able to manage maintaining some kind of standard is a good idea, but I think that people need to take a step back to a certain degree in terms of 
what kind of outcomes that they expect. You know, I don't think that it's reasonable to expect, you know, a homeless camp to be better behaved than, a, you know, your standard high school or middle school, for instance. You know, they have incidents, things occur. You know, it's more a matter of how well they're responded to, whether or not there's enough people there to actually manage what happens. And it sounds like to a certain degree that's what Rick's asking for. You know, I would love to see a future in which there's a good relationship between the folks that are at that camp, the folks that are working at that camp, the staff and the patrons of the bar. Um, I would really love to see the oppositional tone, you know, diminish. Um, but, you know, I think that, uh, you know, people's idea that, you know, something must be done um, a lot of times, you know, plays out in their heads as control measures when, you know, making sure that there are adequate people there to support and making sure that, you know, they're able to actually have clarity on, you know, where the perimeter of the camp is, who's allowed to be there, who's not allowed to be there, and absolutely, definitely more sites, because, I mean, it's just kind of obvious a smaller group of people will be easier to manage than a larger group of people. Thank you, Howard. Yeah, that's nice. Hmm? All right, any further public comment? No, you already gave public comment. I can't let you do it again. <laughs> All right. Mayor, call Mike. I know you are. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, Casey, I know that staff's been working with um, Johnny's, uh, Rick, and, and Spencer both in the last couple of days. Can you give us an idea where you're at with that project, the safety issues? Um, I can start, and then I'm not sure who else is on the call, but I believe that Jeff Crick and uh, Danny um, Walters have been in communication with Rick today um, about some of the conversations. I know one of the items that was mentioned was a fence, and the fence, as one of our speakers mentioned, has been installed and is up. Um, we are uh, trying to work through getting folks hired to provide some additional monitoring at the site. Um, so those are the two items that I that I can speak to. Is that getting at yeah. your question? Yeah, I just wanted to know how close we were getting to addressing some of the safety needs or concerns. Um, if I might ask Rick, are, are you at a point with how you're working with the city that you feel the safety issues are being addressed or have been addressed? I think they are. I think they are. Everything that I've said, people are li are listening to. I have not been ignored. But no, I don't think things have been addressed. I don't know how do you define addressed, right? Yeah. Yes, people are working on it. I met with Dan, Danny today, and Jeff Crick, and he called me back at 4:30 and said, "Hey, we're working on." getting a butt, uh, deal and I go, well, are you talking about one or two people? Or are you talking about part-time, full-time? Well, we haven't gotten that far yet. So I pretty much shut down after that because, <laughs> yes, I think okay. everybody's in agreement. Not everybody's in agreement. There's a majority of people that are in agreement. I think this discussion, I'm sorry it took so long, but I think it was good and I think it'll make things go a little bit smoother for everyone but it needs to every almost everyone is in agreement that we need some monitoring i thought the last guy that talked about it's a high school junior high yeah. is a pretty good analogy and mm -hmm. i was talking to an officer about the moody camp to me that's that was a perfect deal right 
the neighborhood kind of objected to it at the start, but it ended up being good. But what happened was for the first 10 days, two weeks, they monitored it, mm -hmm. they knew who was in there, who was out. So they had people on site all the time. The adults, not children that couldn't behave themselves, were gotten out of the camp and it settled down and it was, it was great. It was good because it was operated okay. well. Thank you. Thank you. That's it. Brad, did you have something else? What? Did you have something else? Any other questions for staff? Um, I, that's not how we do this here. Sorry. If you'd like to talk with him in a safe space outside, we're running this meeting. I would appreciate that. Um, no other comments or questions from commission for staff? All right. Thank you very much for coming. That brings us to our consent agenda. All matters listed on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and will be approved by one motion. There will be no separate discussion on those items. If discussion is desired, that item will be removed from the consent agenda and will be considered separately. Members of the public wishing to speak to an item that has been pulled off the consent agenda will be limited to three minutes for comments. Are there any items commissioners would like to remove from consent? No. No. Seeing none, are there any items members of the public would like to remove from the consent agenda? Cool. Anybody online want to remove anything from the consent agenda? Raise your digital hand. Golden. <laughs> uh, any uh, motions? Move to approve the consent agenda. Second. I have a first and second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. That passes five to zero. That brings us to our work session. Good evening, commissioners. I'm working through getting our presentation up here. Sorry, can we're we're still carrying on. Can you go outside? Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Madam Mayor and Commissioners, uh, Rich and Rich here with your safe and secure update. Um, really excited tonight. We've got uh, some folks that uh, work in the behavioral health space. Um, really kind of timely with uh, the earlier discussion. Uh, Mr. Bob Triansky, uh, Monica Kurz, and Stacy Cooper are going to share with you all um, some uh, some uh, work that's going on in our community around the mental health arena, and um, hopefully we'll uh, we'll get some uh, good direction on things. So I'm going to turn it over to Bob and Monica and Stacy. Good evening, Mayor Shipley, Commissioners, Bob Triansky, Director of Behavioral Health Projects for Douglas County. We appreciate the opportunity and the invitation from Chief Lockhart and Llewellyn to, uh, to share with you um, progress that's been made over the last couple of years um, in the behavioral health space that in a lot of ways are coming together. This is an interesting time uh, for Douglas County. It's an interesting time for the city of Lawrence. Um, it is a time where we are always um, challenged to more adequately and more robustly and more compassionately respond to the needs of our citizens with behavioral health uh, issues and concerns. What I'd like to do tonight is I'd like to try to put some things that are happening right now 
in context of what has happened over the last couple of years. And the reason for that is because in a lot of ways this is a moment where we're getting ready to embark on more work together collaboratively between the city and the county, between our behavioral health partners, our law enforcement, our emergency responders. Um, about six years ago, this community was catalyzed and called to action to respond to some really serious concerns. Concerns about the number of people in our jail, uh, the fact that the jail was overflowing, and the number of people who were in the jail who shouldn't be in the jail because they have behavioral health concerns, they have substance use issues, um, their needs are not being met in the community. And at that time, you know, community organizing pulled city leadership, pulled county elected officials, put them on stage and asked a couple of questions. One question to the police chief at the time, would you commit to training all of the officers in CIT training so that law enforcement can more appropriately respond to somebody in a behavioral health um, crisis? And the answer was yes, and the crowd cheered and we were on our way. Same question about affordable housing. Will you champion an affordable housing trust fund? And city leaders said yes and everyone clapped and we're on our way and here we are. And there was one other question that was put to the county commissioners at the time and that was will you champion the creation of a mental health crisis center so that we can divert people away from jail and, and into treatment. So there was a lot of energy six years ago to create a vision for a crisis intervention center and the spirit of the community was to create the best crisis center in the country and a lot of people did a lot of work uh, over the course of about 12 months and came up with a pretty big bold plan for a facility. This facility would have been 40,000 square feet. It would have been one of the largest crisis centers in the country. It was a big bold aspiration that probably was not the right fit for the community. And what was interesting is, as really has been the story in Douglas County over the last six years, the community came together and said, well, wait a minute, maybe this is not the best idea yet. And through collaboration, not just between the county and the Community Mental Health Center, Burt Nash, but with a bigger table that involved Lawrence Memorial Hospital, that involved um, Lawrence Douglas County Public Health, Burt Nash, DECA, Heartland Community Health Center, the Housing Authority, Heartland RADAC, now nine organizations, that includes the Kansas Suicide Prevention Headquarters, created this behavioral health leadership coalition. And that coalition said, you know, we really need a larger vision of what's possible in Douglas County, not just to try to respond to an immediate need with a, a new and a better facility, but to really be able to address the comprehensive needs of our community systematically. And so the vision of that coalition set five years ago was to create an integrated system of behavioral health care that serves the whole person their whole life so they can realize their full potential. And that group works together with the Lawrence Douglas County Public Health Department through the community health improvement planning process. And one of the four planks of the community health plan is a behavioral health plank. And the goal that we set in 2018 was to build an integrated system of care that moves from crisis and illness as a norm to recovery and a prevention as a practice. Crisis is a moment of time, in, in time. Recovery is a, is a lifelong journey. So how do we prepare our community to be able to offer that full continuum of care to everyone who needs it? 
and respond to people with the right care in the right place at the right time. That's what the coalition, that's the challenge the coalition set for itself and embraced. And in the, in the plan, we've got a number of objectives that were set in 2018, revised recently. Commissioner Littlejohn is on the steering committee and the CHIP steering committee, so he's heard this before, but I just wanted to share with you the seven, the seven objectives of the community health plan, the behavioral health plan of that plan. First is to decrease the number of youth reporting poor mental well-being from 39% to 2021 to 33%. Decrease the percent of youth who report low perceived risk of harm from drug use from 47% in 2021 to 42%. Reduce the number of people who present at the emergency department in behavioral health crisis from 3,900 to 3,120. Reduce the percentage of booked individuals at the Douglas County Jail with serious mental illness, SMI, from 5.5% to 4.9%. Decrease the age-adjusted suicide rate from 16 to 14 per 100,000 in our population. Increase the proportion of adults 18 and older with serious mental illness who receive treatment by 10%. And this is a new one that's been added in the last year because of the work that's been done collaboratively in a variety of work groups and committees and between the Affordable Housing Trust Fund and the, and the, um, the affordable housing work in the CHIP and the supportive housing work that's going on in the behavioral health plank of the CHIP. Promote integration of housing and behavioral health services to further support implementation of the Built for Zero initiative. Increase supportive housing pro services and achieve functional zero for chronically homeless individuals and households by 2028. Those are the seven objectives in the behavioral health space. And one of the core pieces of our ability to make progress is not just related to bringing a crisis center on, online, it's all of the other pieces of that system. So what I wanna to do tonight is just give you an opportunity to meet some of the people who are bringing those components of our behavioral health system online, speak a little bit to the new interventions that have come online in 2022 and, and where we're going and, and take a moment or two for, for your questions. Um, and if you look at this graphic, you'll notice that there are a couple of components to a, an integrated behavioral health crisis system. The first is a 24-7 mobile crisis line, uh, a phone line that's available to anybody in the community 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and linked to 988. We launched that thanks to our friends at Kansas Suicide Prevention Headquarters um, in May. I mean, they've been working on it for over a year, but in July, 988 came online, and Monica's gonna share um, how that is going and how that integrates with the deployment of mobile crisis response teams. So something that is not law enforcement driven, it is a team of people traveling in a vehicle who can respond to people in the community. It's a, it's a social worker, therapist, case manager, and a peer two people. That team is now available thanks to the leadership at Burt Nash from 8 o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. And if you've been following what we've been doing over at the county in the last couple of weeks, um, we've been working together with Burt Nash to be able to see that go till 2 a.m. by the end of uh, 2022. Um, one of the challenges that we face is, you know, can we have a 24-7 mobile response in Douglas County uh, and in the city of Lawrence and in Baldwin and Eudora? Um, Bert Nash very much would like to see a 24-7 mobile response. There are many stakeholders in the community that would like to know that there's a 24-7 mobile response available. To get to a 24-7 mobile response, we're going to have to have more conversation and more collaboration because the sales tax that the county has to invest in this is, is limited. 
The crisis center is, construction on the crisis center is complete. We are working very hard to get that facility open and to be able to guarantee that when it's open, anybody in the community will be able to go to that facility and know that they will get the right care in the right setting at the right at the right time. And then the last piece of the of the of the continuum here is what happens after a crisis. Right? So a, cr a crisis is a moment in time, recovery is a it's a lifelong journey. And so uh, Stacy Cooper is here from Heartland Radac to talk to us a little bit about some of those post crisis care pieces of the of the continuum. We've got three focus areas that we are trying to promote as we pull all these pieces together. The first is to prioritize prevention. The second is to promote integration across the system of care. And the third is to improve access. And there's been a lot of collaboration. One of the things I wanted to highlight just really briefly is, is something that our law enforcement partners and our school district partners have put together, which is a program called Handle with Care. Chief, you want to take a second or two to share a little bit about that? So when I was on my uh, listening tour of the community getting to know folks, I met with Lori Alvarado from DCCA and one of the first things she asked me about was Handle with Care. And I had never heard of the program, but it's something that is in every school district in Douglas County except for Lawrence. And as she explained the program to me, it really made sense. So if we as police go to the house and there's some school-aged children there, realizing that uh, maybe mom and dad were in a, a, an argument or some other thing happened that prompted a law enforcement response that can create trauma in the children and so when they go to school the next day if a teacher doesn't know what happened they may, may think the students acting out because they have a behavior issue well what we were able to do with this program now is create a notification process through our SROs where the patrol officer who responds sends an email to the SRO the SRO routes that to the school administrator where that student attends and the teachers are then notified that there was potentially a traumatic event at this child's house last night and they may need a little extra care today so maybe it's um, you know they're acting out we give them a little more patience or maybe they're tired and they need to go take a nap now we have this holistic approach to taking care of our children and ensuring that their trauma is recognized and, and we aren't giving details so the, the staff aren't knowing exactly what happened they just know that something happened and that this ch child's behavior may be linked to that uh, in the first six weeks we've had this program uh, implemented this year uh, 25 referrals were made so it's already having a significant impact in our schools and a positive impact on our students and, and I think we're going to continue to see this grow and this is really due to our expanded SRO program as you all know we're now in all the middle schools and the two high schools and we're seeing these things really have an impact on our students and the relationship between law enforcement and students so great great program and we're happy to be able to now have every school district in Douglas County represented uh, as we were the last piece of the puzzle so I think that really embodies those three those three principles: prioritize prevention. We need to we need to protect our young people. We need to respond as quickly as possible when they encounter something that is traumatic, um, and we need to um, promote integration between law enforcement, EMS, and our school district, our behavioral health providers, uh, and in, you know increase access, take advantage of the wrap workers that are working in our schools to be able to connect with services at the community mental health center. Those kind of three holistic ways of working 
working together. And Chief, thanks for that. I think it's a, just one of many examples of what we see. So let's talk about several of those examples. And the first is to talk about that, that front end, uh, the, the 988 crisis line and, and mobile response. Monica Kurtz is the Vice President of Policy and Prevention at Kansas Suicide Prevention Headquarters. She and uh, Edie Harrison uh, from Burt Nash and Jared Otten from Kansas Suicide Prevention Headquarters have been instrumental both in this community in bringing 988 and mobile response online, but also advocating at the state level um, for the type of funding and support that it takes to make things happen in a community such as ours. So I'm going to turn it over to Monica for a couple of comments about how things are going with 988 and mobile. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Thank you, City Commissioners. I'm going to hopefully come up here a little bit. I'm <clears throat> My voice is not as strong as it usually is. Um, so thank you so much for the opportunity to share a little bit about how a 988 and a 24-7 crisis line is unfolding here in Lawrence and Douglas County. Um, as city commissioners may be aware, uh, Kansas Suicide Prevention Headquarters has operated in this community since 1969. We recognized the need for a 24-7, 365 um, day a year point of access for the community many, many years ago. Um, I was actually able to, to connect with some of our founders uh, last night and, and had a nice opportunity to reflect on really just how far technology has come and yet the needs of the community and I think the ability to access services has really remained the same over these years. Um, so as you may be aware, uh, the uh, uh, 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline um, became operational on all telecommunications carriers on July 16th of 2022. So of this year. Um, since that time, uh, nationwide, we've seen about a 50% increase um, in access of 988 services uh, when you look at kind of this quarter of, of 2022 compared to 2021. Um, here in the state of Kansas, that's actually been a little bit higher. We've been at about a 56% increase. Um, I think that it's important to recognize that 988 is an incredible innovation. It's um, um, very important, I think, that folks can access that service via phone, text, um, or online chat services. Uh, but we also have a ways to go nationwide for making that service, I think, all that it can be. Um, I am often reminded that we need to really be thinking about how the public becomes comes to understand different ways to get their crisis needs met. Um, so something that I want to ensure that the City Commission is aware of is that that 988 number um, is routed by area code. There is no geo-routing or geolocation that is embedded in that phone number. So for that reason, headquarters continues to operate 785-841-2345 as a local crisis number that ensures that residents of Lawrence or those folks who may live in Lawrence part-time um, are directed to our crisis center where they have access to some enhanced services that are not necessarily available in every part of the country or in every part of the state. And we can talk a little bit about that. Um, what we're seeing is that we're able to really offer um, um, emotional support for folks who are calling for reasons of um, mental illness, emotional distress, substance use, um, or some sort of crisis um, that, that does not require um, medical response. We're able to offer those services and really stabilize folks on the phone about 90% of the time. 
time. So what, is, what does stabilize mean? Um, it means that we're connecting with folks um, and really trying to offer that emotional support, but also engaging in collaborative safety planning and de-escalation. One of the incredible enhancements that we've seen here in Douglas County um, is our partnership with Burt Nash and that mobile crisis response team that they have operating between the hours of 8 a.m. and 2 uh, 2 a.m., sorry. Um, I uh, was actually just working uh, or, or um, emailing with Edie today about how things have been going. So they've been fully operational since September 11th. Uh, the crisis line at this point is really offering as that kind of operating as that single point of contact um, for folks who want to connect with the mobile response team. We're doing that for a number of reasons. One of the primary reasons being that we want to ensure that there's good access to the mobile team and that there's also good safety for everyone involved. Um, so they've responded to 15 calls um, since September 11th um, and have been able to stabilize um, all but three of the folks who they've responded to in the community. So we've only had to divert three folks um, to the, the emergency room. I think that this is a really good example of the direction that we're moving. Um, our, our overall hope is that we really start to see that folks have an opportunity to get their needs met without sitting in the emergency room for, for, for hours. So I think that we're seeing good, um, good, good progress there. Um, also want to just highlight that we are prioritizing our collaboration with our 911 provider here in Douglas County um, and for Lawrence citizens. The ultimate goal being that folks who contact 911 with a mental health concern that does not have a medical or criminal component um, can be served on the 988 line um, rather than by having law enforcement dispatched to their location. Um, so that is a project that we've been um, taking on for, for a number of months now um, have seen really good collaboration with Tony Foster and with our law enforcement agencies that serve Douglas County and really thinking about how that can be accomplished with safety. I think safety is kind of always top of mind, which is why at this point we're really operating on a, on a, on a consent basis. We're only sending mobile response teams when we have the person's consent. We've also seen really good um, collaboration, especially with Lawrence Police Department um, in giving referrals to that mobile response team. In fact, Edie was, was quick to point out that the majority of those referrals have come from Lawrence Police Department at this time. So I, I think that my, my hope for you all is that the takeaway is that this crisis continuum as it's unfolding, we've really seen some good collaboration and communication between our law enforcement and our behavioral health partners. And I'm really seeing that we're starting to build a stronger system here and here in Lawrence. So thank you. Thank you, Monica. And so there, again, you see that, you know, the goal would be that 80% of the calls that come in would be resolved on the phone. If a mobile response is necessary, 70% of those mobile response dispatched would be resolved in the field. And now we have a new facility or a new component uh, online, which is the, a crisis intervention center. Um, one of the things that happened because of collaboration, because of um, real dedication to solving the whole issue that we face when we're trying to address people's behavioral health needs was was housing, housing, housing. Um, so, you know, by right-sizing the crisis center and opening some space up on campus, by collaboration with Burt Nash, who owns some of the land, and the county who owned other pieces of the land, and an 
an opportunity to work together with the Lawrence Douglas County Housing Authority, we are able to take that aspiration of a crisis center and instead realize a treatment and recovery campus that has three tiers of housing support, respite, stabilization in a crisis center, transitional housing for 12 individuals at transitions operated by Burt Nash, and then 10 permanent supportive housing cottages um, operated by the Lawrence Douglas County Housing Authority that they leveraged $2.2 million in HUD funds to, to build. So this is really a, you know, a dramatic kind of proof of concept set nicely, uh, co-located right across the street from Burt Nash and right across the street from LMH and, and, and nestled nicely into a, into a residential neighborhood. Um, the treatment and recovery campus is the realization of five solid years of work. You know, and I just would remind everyone, because I know there's a lot of, we are all eager to open the crisis center as soon as possible and to make sure that it's as successful as possible. We were in the same situation last year in terms of not having all the housing occupied that we needed to have occupied because of technical challenges that we face. All the units are now occupied, so you know, there are 22 individuals who are housed on the campus. There will be another 32 beds available in the crisis center when the crisis center comes online. Let's talk a little bit about what will make this community different because the treatment and recovery center is available and open. The first is it's a 24-7 facility. It's a 24-7 facility that will say yes instead of trying to find reasons to say no and turn somebody away. It's a more therapeutic and appropriate place for somebody to go in the midst of a behavioral health crisis, whether that crisis involves um, a, a serious mental illness or it involves a substance use issue or it involves somebody who is struggling with suicide. Um, this is the place where everyone should come. The front door of the facility will be open and lead to what's called the Access Center, and the Access Center is an urgent psychiatric care opportunity. Um, it's an extension of what Burt Nash is doing now at their Access Center over at the community health facility, but it will be open now from 8 in the morning until 8 o'clock at night. Am I getting those hours right, Patrick? <laughs> 8 in the morning till 8 o'clock at night. Um, Monday through Friday, and then for four hours a day on the weekend. So right there is a, is a new value add to the community in terms of access for med appointments, refills, meeting with a therapist. You know, you're concerned about a family member or a loved one. Anyone will be able to walk in the front door. The front door is open for families and for adults. That access center is the first component. Then there are two other components in the facility. The next is called a 23-hour observation unit, and that's a, a space where people can come in in a much more therapeutic environment than you would find in an emergency room or certainly in jail, and it's an opportunity for behavioral health professionals to figure out what's going on, to figure out what the person needs next, and to figure out what's the best way to get somebody the next step and of treatment that they need. That is probably something that could be resolved within 23 hours and people could go home and go on their way. If not, then the other part of the facility, the 72-hour stabilization, has beds, eight rooms, 16 beds, so we could have a capacity of 16 people who would be able to stay in a residential setting for up to 72 hours while they might, we might be able to stabilize and then the person would not have to go to the hospital. So those, those are the three areas in the, in the facility. Access center, urgent psychiatric care and assessment, 
with a lot more hours of, than are available and have been available for a long time. 23-hour observation unit and a 72-hour stabilization unit. And 24-7, the side door that you see on the picture is available for law enforcement, EMS, and really anybody um, who needs those facilities can come to the side door 24-7. So that's the treatment and recovery center. And then the last piece of this system of care, this integrated behavioral health system of care is what happens after a crisis? And how do we make sure that people um, don't get to a point where they need to access those crisis services again? Even though if they do, that's okay, that's fine, because we finally are gonna have the facilities and the services online that are really ready to meet people where they are. Um, I'm gonna have Stacy Cooper, I'm gonna introduce Stacy. Stacy is the Director of Care Coordination and Peer Support Services for Heartland Radio. RADAC, Regional Alcohol Drug Assessment Center, another one of our partners that's come together with us over the last couple of years. Stacey's going to share some things about some of the components of post-crisis care and care coordination. Thank you, Bob. Hi, guys. Thanks for this opportunity to share about care coordination. So intensive care coordination is a county-funded program that provides post-crisis resource connection and peer mentorship to Douglas County residents. Simply put, intensive care coordination is really meant, about, uh, meant to connect and reconnect people to resources after they've had a crisis. We provide a team approach to client care that includes a care coordinator that's really clinically based and a peer mentor. And our staff walk people into doors that enhance ultimately their quality of life and uh, support social determinants of health. Examples of resources for these folks are things like safe and affordable housing, 12-step meetings, substance use treatment, food stamps, um, applications, transportation. Absolutely, we're referring to places like Burt Nash and the local community shelter. Um, mental and physical health services are really what we're trying to connect folks to. Regardless of insurance, diagnosis, housing status, income, community members are simply not alone when it comes to navigating this really complex complex crisis system, the care coordination services exist so that no one falls through the cracks. So since, 2000, since 2018, um, we've actually been referred over 4,000 individuals that have been identified through our system of care, through law enforcement, through the co-responder team, through Burt Nash, that need this vital resource. And on average, we're engaging with about 175 community members at any given time. Today, I really wanted to find a way to highlight what is care coordination, what is peer mentorship, what are they actually doing out there, and how are they talking to clients? I want to start with peer mentorship. Really, the focus of a peer is to talk to somebody about their lived experience. And so to illustrate that, I just pulled some direct quotes out of um, you know, these experiences that these peers are having with clients just to really highlight what they're doing. And so these are the things that our peers say. I shared my lived experience in early recovery because my client had impulses to run from things that would help strengthen her. I shared how I break things down that are overwhelming into small, manageable tasks. I also talked about how I built a support system system in my recovery community. I talked about my relapses, how I made slow but forward progress at first. I talked about what an NA meeting is like. I went to NA meetings with my clients, and for the first time, we had an honest communication about what physical appearance and looks like and also how drugs can be progressive. I shared my experience regarding suicide attempts and acknowledged my clients' efforts to reach out for help. I talked about how I coped with having pending charges, presumptive prison time hanging over my head, and what I did about that. And I taught the client how to ask for rides when they went to recovery meetings and how to ask someone to be their sponsor. I think these quotes really highlight 
um, and paint a picture of what it's meant to work with a peer in this community to really see how hope and a sense of connection is being fostered. I'd like to wrap up my portion of this presentation with just a story, because stories are the best and they just highlight exactly what um, this can also look like, because I want to pull in that clinical element of what care coordination is. This, uh, this story really highlights a post-crisis event for a female that we worked with in this community. At the time that we started working with her, she was having a substance use crisis and a mental health crisis. I believe that she was referred from the co-responder at the time. Whenever we started talking to her, this client was drinking daily and experimenting with other substances. She had recently been arrested. She had lost her job. She was living out of a hotel. Our peer mentor coached this individual on how to interview for an Oxford house. And our care coordinator accessed barrier reduction funding to pay for the deposit and two weeks rent so we could get her into some sober living housing. From there, we supported her in getting a job. This basically looked like providing her some basic hygiene items, supporting her in accessing you know, what to dress and how to talk about the interview, you know, stuff like that. The peer helped um, edit her resume and get herself like ready for this process. We used barrier reduction funds to purchase a bicycle. This was during the summer. Um, so that this individual could ride her bike to work, ride her bike to 12-step meetings and the other commitments and appointments she had with providers in the community. Um, this client was also working with a peer to connect to the local AA um, Alcoholics Anonymous group. After a while, she began attending without the peer by her side, because normally the peer would go with her at first. The care coordinator connected her to the local medicine cabinet to pay for some mental health medications and ensured that she actually got to her Burt Nash appointments. And we also supported her um, in accessing a vision appointment, because turns out she really needed glasses. She was having a hard time reading. Um, through the support of this process, we supported this client in navigating court dates and PO appointments, and ultimately she resolved her legal barriers. At this time, this client is sober, employed, housed, and she is actually taking these 12-step meetings into hospitals and institutions, which is part of that 12-step recovery process and kind of bringing that out into the community. Um, how do you illustrate care coordination? How do you illustrate what peer mentors do? That is what they're doing out there. They're connecting people to resources post-crisis. And those resources sometimes is having a human connection walking you through those doors. Sometimes it is a peer with lived experience. And we have found the combination of clinical care coordination and peer mentorship was really you know, allowing people to get the resources they need to become more stable and more sober in this community. And that's what kind of post-crisis care looks like um, right now. Again, a big thank you just for allowing me to kind of articulate this and spend some time talking about, about this issue. Thank you. We've conducted a number of experiments. I, you know, DECA has been a big partner with us as well. And uh, in 2018, they proposed a kind of experimental model to go into the emergency department when people were in a behavioral health crisis that was substance use related. What's the next step for somebody? Go to social detox. What's the challenge in Douglas County? There are no social detox beds for men. We have two beds for women at first step that are often are full. So how do you get somebody from an, an urgent care environment like an emergency department and get them to the next right place? 
DECA said, let's lead with peers. Peers went into the emergency department, peers engaged with the person, and 70% um, of the time when they've done that over the last three years, the person has said, yes, I will go to detox, even if it means that I need to go to Wichita. And DECA has facilitated transportation and riding with the peer. 72 to 74% of the people that take advantage of that opportunity have been completing. So we know that there are models here that work. Um, it requires that we experiment, that we gather data around those experiments to ask what's working, what's not working, and, and, and what are we learning, learning from each other. Bert Nash is, um, has just gone through a journey and is going through a process to become a certified community behavioral health clinic, CCBHC. That puts a whole different spin on the way a community mental health center delivers services. Bert Nash is directly providing crisis services to individuals. Bert Nash now has an ACT team, assertive community treatment. Um, we have assisted outpatient treatment. So we have intensive care coordination. We have social links to social detox and regional access for that. We have an assertive community treatment team, an assisted outpatient treatment program. We have drug court. We have behavioral health court. All of this has happened over the last five years, and it's a time to be really excited, but it's also going to be a time where we're going to have to na navigate some new challenges, because these, the, these are the questions that confront us, I think, now as a community. First one, how do we build and sustain, that's the key word, sustain a 24-7, 365 behavioral health crisis system in a community of our size and in a state without Medicaid expansion? We're doing pretty well, but there are still some gaps that we are going to have to imaginatively overcome. How do we ensure that individuals in crisis receive the right care in the right setting at the right time? And the right time means every time. You know, how do we have that continuous quality improvement process in place so that we're always getting better? Because right now we're less worser. We always need to be more better. How do we maximize outside funding sources and foster transparency and accountability and continuous quality improvement while minimizing competition between agencies? We have figured out how to play well together in the sandbox. There's plenty of work and opportunity here, but that doesn't mean that it's not complicated to figure out how we build those relationships and make them sustainable. How do we hold coalitions and emerging partnerships together and ensure fiscal discipline and accountability as we move from where we are now to where we want to be five years from now? And how should county government effectively leverage its position as convener, strategist, and funder to pull together behavioral health justice system and community stakeholders to formalize crisis system oversight? We all have a role in owning this system. So that involves county and municipal leadership. It involves healthcare and human service providers, our emergency services, law enforcement, criminal justice partners, citizens with lived experience, and community stakeholders. This is an opportunity, I think, to build on what we did with those behavioral health partners and to start to expand the table, the conversation, and the oversight beyond that group of providers to have all of the players that are helping to assemble this very complex system of care and to ask ourselves how do we make sure that it delivers the best care every time for the citizens of Lawrence. So I thank you for the opportunity to kind of brief you county to city and partner to partner um, on this and we would be happy to answer any questions. Patrick Schmidt, CEO from Burt Nash is, is also here so we are all available to answer any questions you might have. Thank you so much. Are there any questions right now? This might be a question for Monica and Chief Lockhart. I, 
I think I understand the mobile response team, but also our co-responder team. Do you see them remaining separate five years from now, or is there some, I know we've talked a little bit about working together and, and, and how can we support those two efforts? So I think that that's a good question, and I think that um, I think we don't know yet. Um, so really, um, as we've talked about bringing this online, um, I think that the intention has been to really monitor our data um, and see how services are being utilized, but also tracking um, when are we getting calls that we wish that we could send someone that, that we can't. Right, so, so really trying to take a look at what our hotline contacts are telling us about what the community need is. And I would actually kind of um, expand the picture of services that need to work together because I think it is mobile response and co-responder. Uh, but I think that Stacy's team also has a big part to play in really thinking about how we are being proactive with folks that we need to be proactive with, how we're responding to immediate crisis when that's happening, and how we're pro providing appropriate wraparound support afterwards to prevent future future incidences. So I, I think that we are we have a puzzle, we know what the pieces are, and we're, we're trying to use the data to fit them together. Yeah, and I would say uh, this goes back to the mobile integrated health that uh, Chief Joel's presented last month. And so uh, Chief Llewellyn and I have been talking about um, mobile responses new. Co-responders have been here for a while. Mobile integrated health is coming out after the first of the year. We're all working with the same people. And so how do we work collaboratively to ensure that we're getting the best service for those people? So I do see an opportunity there for us. And um, maybe the next update or the update after we'll be able to give you some progress reports on that. Thank you. Any other questions? Yes, um, I had a couple of questions, and I don't know who I want to address them to, so have at it. Race to the microphone for whoever wants to answer it. Um, the first question is in regard to data. I know we talked about, it, you know, you all spoke about just bringing data online. I guess my question is, currently, who is tracking this data? Where does it live? Who's who's owning it? And is there some type of collaborative agreement going on with this? Yeah, one of the less sexy things to talk about yeah. <laughs> is, is, is the intricacies of data. So w one of the real benefits of having a really talented team at Lawrence Douglas County Public Health in the Academic Health Department is um, that they provided a lot of leadership for forming a data sharing collaborative about five or six years ago. That group has negotiated business use agreements among the Behavioral Health Leadership Coalition partners, also with law enforcement and EMS, to be able to provide those reports and the, those data elements in a centralized space. They call that a data repository that they're working with KU to build. But each of the projects we talked about here submits monthly reports, um, sometimes quarterly with a monthly breakdown, but we have monthly data from the emergency department, from the um, 988 line. And the data sharing collaborative is really the mechanism by which we look at those <laughs> those pieces, yeah. those dashboards and try to figure out how we're going to make sense of them. Now, this is a season where we're really going to have to start to 
do that. And so, for example, this morning the CIT Council met, and we've decided that that's going to be a good forum to look at that 988 and mobile response data specifically and particularly. Um, and so I think those practices will start to emerge. Again, this question of how, what is the structure for crisis system oversight? You know, what are the key performance indicators that we want to look at, how frequently do we want to review them. There's a lot of work to be done, and I think Lawrence Douglas County Public Health and our partners are in a good situation to start to bring that forward in addition to pretty pictures of a campus. Wonderful. It is less sexy, but data is outcomes, and outcomes drives how do we know we're being successful. So thank you for sharing that. Now, you brought up the M word, which we all talk about, we've been talking about for many years in this state, which is Medicaid expansion. And so, you know, we're on the cusp of of a legislative session starting, and it is election night. So I'm going to ask, um, what percentage of services, so with the populations that we're seeing being served collectively, but also through these through these. Um, through these initiatives, what percentage of individuals receiving these services do you do you believe fit that Medicaid expansion population? Can we talk about this through the lens of CCBHC? And I would love for you to talk about that through the lens of CCBHC. Hi, Patrick Schmitz, CEO. I don't have that specific number in terms of the, the population, uh, but what I do know is currently what we have observed uh, through our CCBHC numbers is about 56 to 57 percent of all services that we are providing at Burt Nash qualify uh, under the CCBHC uh, for individuals with Medicaid. So we anticipate that we can uh, climb that number up into 65, 70 percent, which would bring in a lot of additional funding and, and additional support. But what that would look like in the general population and, and how that looks, I'm not exactly sure of that number. Okay. And to the point for the CCBHC, from, from a funding mechanism, is that similar to what you see, what we see with our FQHCs where there's kind of an encounter rate, so there's a set rate per service provided with that individual? Yeah, the CCBHC model was uh, modeled after, in some ways, uh, what we see at the FQHC model, where there is a cost report where you get to account for all of the cost of care, and then you get a, a, an agreed-to rate, uh, and ours is a daily rate. Uh, that helps pay for uh, the services an individual uh, receives that day. So it could be one service or it could be five services. We get that one rate. But the, the advantage is it divides those costs of all care uh, over the course of a period of time uh, and across settings, and it results in significantly uh, improved reimbursement overall. Okay. Yeah. The other thing, back to the data, Part. It also, the CCBHC model and our new accreditation under CARF requires a significant amount of more data collection and reporting out uh, because the CCBHC model and CARF are both national models of excellence. Uh, they both come with very uh, significant expectations around data collection and reporting. Yeah. And then my last question is it's kind of a potpourri for whoever wants to answer it. We talked a little bit about some of the challenges of how do we stand up and sustain a lot of this work. Can someone speak to briefly the state of our behavioral health workforce in this county? 
where are we at? Where do you feel like we're at as far as the workforce need? There's, there's, where does the greatest need, is it in specialized care? Where are we at, just high level? I'll, I'll speak for what we have observed at Burt Nash in the last six months. And, and a lot of it is tied to um, the work we did towards becoming certified as a certified community behavioral health clinic. Uh, for us, uh, we have right now a vacancy rate uh, of about 10% or just over 10%. The average across Kansas is in the 20 to 25%. A lot of that has very specifically to do with the, the new model. Um, and quite honestly, the excitement about what Douglas County is doing, and not just Douglas County, but all of the partners that Bob has talked about, we are creating some really uh, exciting environments of and, and um, opportunities to deliver care that are unavailable elsewhere, not only for our citizens, but for the individuals who want to do that work. Uh, and in fact, uh, in relation to like the Treatment and Recovery Center, uh, we have had to stop advertising for right now because we're not open, but there's a lot more interest in coming to work there than, than we can currently okay. uh, offer at the at the moment and I think we're seeing that in, in a variety of ways that that's from the Burt Nash Center I'm not sure about for uh, my partners behind me so I'll let them if they want to address it we're, we're, a, we're a little different because we operate um, on a, a paid staff um, in, in combination with highly trained volunteers um, I, I will tell you that that we um, are actually seeing a higher interest um, from folks who are volunteering to do this work for free than we have at any point um, since I became involved with the organization in 2005 yeah. so we're seeing quite a bit of interest on the volunteer side um, as well as being able to convert um, many of those folks over into paid staff so so at this point we feel pretty well positioned um, for for staffing, I will say that that is not necessarily true for our, uh, the partners that we work with outside of Douglas County. And then one thing I would observe: there's like there's capacity and vacancy rates. There's also turnover, and so there's just been tremendous turnover. And when you have tremendous turnover across systems, people are getting to know each other, and and sort of like restart. Um, and so that, that I think that's one of the unseen things that you can't quite put your put your finger on it. But I I think all of our partners have seen um, that turnover that that that's happening, and internally that creates challenges and right. it slows progress a little bit. I just think. You need to we need to speak to that because it's real but in regards to the turnover the supply and demand is pretty balanced as far as this the workforce that's out there meeting the require you know meeting the minimum requirements or work requirements to to be employed like are we getting good candidates are you feeling like you're getting a good pool of candidates that are coming through wanting these positions we are getting good candidates but you're absolutely right supply and demand uh, has significantly increased during the pandemic um, and because more and more people have started to understand the value of, of mental health care uh, and the need for it um, plus we just also happened to go ahead and raise the anxiety level of our entire world uh, in, in a, a very short period of time. And so that need has grown. The other part about uh, this is it's very challenging work. It is very difficult. If you think of a therapist who sits for six, eight hours a day hearing about the worst parts of somebody's life, that is really challenging uh, work. And so uh, the burnout rate can be pretty high 
if you're not doing a good job of taking care of your team. Uh, but that's true throughout all levels of care. Uh, gosh, you know, 10 years ago, we always uh, were worried about the psychiatric providers, right? We did, there wasn't enough of those. Uh, now, uh, that goes all the way down to our masters and even now bachelor's level workers that are, are were challenged to get them. Uh, we be in the industry as a whole. Um, and then you have your behavioral health specialists who often are, are your entry level positions who are on their way uh, into schooling. Uh, maybe they're going to KU or one of the other uh, great uh, colleges and universities around us. Uh, and once they get that bachelor's degree or get their master's degree, they're on to something different. So that is part of the, the churn, the, the turnover that we have just in general. That's, that's pretty traditional of a community mental health center as, an, as a whole, uh, as we are often the training ground for a lot of people. Uh, and we embrace that uh, because what we find is if we do a really good job of helping be a part of that training, uh, some of them will stay. Uh, and if they don't stay, uh, at least they had a good experience that they then refer maybe some colleagues back over to us who will come work for us. Or maybe they come back to us after a few years and say, hey, that, that was a pretty good place to work. I'd like to get back and uh, to there and we've had a lot of success with that this past year as well all right thank you any other questions all right is there any public comment is there any public comment online no mayor great thank you uh, any other conversation i just want to thank all of you, um, in particular the county um, and Bob and the county commission for their leadership um, in you know, where we were five, six years ago to see how this model is building out and, and certainly we have work to go but um, appreciate all the work you guys have done and, and obviously 988 is a, is a huge step forward and um, obviously there's a lot of people involved in that and in the, in the mobile crisis team and how that, you know, I think even at the city level, I think we'll see that as, as well as our co-responder team. That's why I asked the question. I think that's going to make a big difference in in our community going forward. Um, you know, care coordination is something I hear about a lot um, in the community um, from providers, from other agencies, and from consumers, and, and there's a real benefit there. And, and, you know, you go across the state, you don't see that very often. And again, thank you to the county for, for helping lead that and DECA for leading that and um, obviously we're very excited to get the TRC open soon <laughs> and uh, see what that does to, to the whole uh, um, you know the whole system that that's been developed and and lastly I'd say you know congratulations to Bert Nash on the CCBHC as well as the call for accreditation you know both of those are, are big milestones and are going to make a, a world of difference so just you know, thank everyone for what you've done, and certainly we we hope to be you know part of that as best we can from from out outside of it. Thank you very much. I would uh, I would add on that and uh, everything Commissioner Finkeldy said. I've been along this journey as Bob uh, mentioned earlier. Um, just uh, and to, to see it come to this point is great. Um, especially when we get the TRC online and just can 
to Commissioner uh, Sellers' point, actually get some data of how people are flowing through the system and how how they're being cared for and where where spots where we can do better and where where we're doing well and things of that sort. So. And I also want to echo that um, from what Patrick said, I've been in a lot of meetings as well that, you know, Lawrence is a model. Douglas, Lawrence and Douglas County are, is a model of, you know, really concentrating and extending efforts to make a difference in this area and this scope. So uh, I think we all should be proud of, you know, all the people that contribute to it and that work very hard in those fields. Uh, and uh, and I'm, I'm really appreciative for all your work. Mayor. Go ahead. I know. I'm just going to add real quick. You guys know. Um, I, you know, protocol has been established. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what I, <laughs> thank you. Um, I, you know, one of the, I was just a quick anecdotal story. One of the things that I had to work on, my first assignment that I received in my job when I worked for the state was to review the, the relationship between federal and state dollars as related to, to mental and behavioral health services and what the impact that has had. That was my first policy research job assignment that I had to do. And so having that information and watching us get to this point of having um, being able to have CCBHCs here in our state is getting us back to where we can hopefully get to where we were in a, and exceed that as far as providing the necessary funding that we need to support um, behavioral health services in our community. We know that the pandemic was, I guess you can call it the great enlightenment, enlightenment for a lot of people that, you know, it's okay to say that, you know, I suffer and there's things that I need to talk about or there's things that I need to, I need to talk to someone to get that care. Um, but things such as Medicaid expansion and advocating for that as a city commissioner, as a local elected to our state legislators is a great way to show that this is the type of, of action that needs to happen in order for our agencies to be successful in this role to help us try to solve some of those long-term complex um, concerns that we may have around delivery of care and continuum care as it relates to behavioral services. So thank you for keeping us accountable for that in any way that we can be better advocates for what you all need to get this work done. And that's what we're here for. Thank you all again. <laughs> thank you. Uh, that brings us to our regular agenda item. And I think Casey might be on the spot here. Sure, I'll, I'll take a shot. <laughs> Good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. Um, our City Manager, Craig Owens, had a family commitment this evening, so I told him I would sub in. And um, I just, a quick word of introduction for this item. Uh, at your meeting on uh, November 1st, uh, you all talked about kind of efforts to uh, study and make recommendations about advisory boards and commissions. So uh, we have brought back to you a resolution uh, that uh, kind of summarizes all of that conversation. So can walk through that or just uh, leave it there and allow you to have discussion. Uh, one last caveat would be um, this is obviously a draft and can be changed uh, as you all see fit um, as you want to go through your discussion tonight. Any questions or did we all read it? Yeah, I thought it looked fine. I was okay with it. Honestly, I thought we hammered out a lot of it yeah. on the yeah. last meeting. 
Yes. <laughs> so I don't have a question, but I do have a discussion. And I know this was one of the questions we had in regards to Section 3 and appointments. I know on some of our boards and commissions, while we have individuals, we have individuals that may not live within city limits, but they do serve as members of our boards and commissions. And so to make that, to have that in there, um, that committee members shall reside within the city limits of the city of Lawrence, Kansas. I understand that language was taken from something else and that had germaneness to that. I just feel like we might be missing opportunities if we have board, board and commission chairs that want to be a part of this work, but their disqualifier is that they don't live in the city, but may have a business in the city. And if that could be, I just don't know why that, I, I wanna talk about that sticking point as far as a committee member has to reside within city limits. Casey, do you want that as a question or do you wanna cogitate on it while I do mm -hmm. public comment? Oh, I think my answer would be, it could be however the commission sees fit. Okay. Okay. Any other questions? Okay, let's see if there's any public comment. Hi, this is Chris Flowers, and I support Commissioner Sellers' um, recommendation. Like, if someone is currently on a board, shouldn't they be allowed for consideration to be on this this new board that's going to be looking at how boards are are drawn up because what if they want to speak in favor you know of letting people that don't live in Lawrence be on some new board that's taken over that what the old board uh, did and also I had a question and like last week I believe it was said that uh, currently four hundred and seventy thousand dollars is it, of staff time is being used on these boards. So my question is, if we're reducing, are we going to be reducing the staff time that's been on these boards? And if so, are we going to be reducing any staff? Because, I mean, if we're not using as much staff time, do we still need as much staff? Or are the staff just going to be doing less work? Or is it could it just be that they'll be doing the same amount of work because we'll have less boards, but the boards will start doing more work? So that's just something I'd keep in mind. And also, I don't think that it should be limited to no more than 10 boards. I mean, I think that should be a recommendation. But um, what if, um, I mean, how do you know the number of boards we're going to need to better align with the strategic plan um, if, if the topic hasn't been discussed or studied yet? Because um, what if it turns out that more than if that if more than 10 boards would better align with like the unmistakable identity outcome like maybe more community work or more and community engagement is good and having less boards goes against that so um, that's just some things I was thinking about and also um, I was just wondering how will when I guess there's three members of the general public that are going to be allowed to be on the board. Um, how will that be decided? Will it be like how the previous, like how it is now, where the we'll have people fill out to be on this this board, and then the mayor nominates the three people, or is it going to be, or and also that the current five, how will is that going to be decided? Will this be up to the mayor, or will 
at some point each commissioner get appoint someone to the board. Um, I, and I, I'm just going to say I would like to be on this board. Just I mean, I don't sign up for a lot, but it's something I think I, I've been following along. I, I know about the strategic plan. I've been to numerous advisory board meetings. And, and so that's just some stuff to, I, I, just stuff to think about. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Any other public comment? Is there any public comment online? No, Mayor. Thank you. Um, I did kind of want to respond or see if anyone else got the same feeling from it um, in response to um, what what Chris Flowers said about you know the money that gets spent and does that mean we get to cut staff? My impression of that is that <laughs> that is um, that's really about mission creep, which I guess is whatever corporate people talk about when you ask people to take on more responsibility in their job than they really should be. Um, my, I would never put anyone on the spot on staff here to um, agree with that, but that has certainly been my impression that the amount of time and energy that is spent on advisory boards has its value but is maybe not as productive as what they should probably be doing otherwise. Um, I just wanted to kind of make a comment on that. Um, uh, to me, that doesn't mean just because they're not taking care of six boards aside from their regular work that they get a, they that we don't need that person to be doing their regular job. I just wanted to say that um, to your comment, um, Commissioner Sellers, you want to iron that out. Indeed, there is the caveat that um, for some boards anyway, that if you have a business in town, you can you're eligible but there is also a certain kind of discretion in that perhaps tony could comment on the amount of discretion that the mayor has in appointments yes so under our current procedure um the mayor has the opportunity to bring you know forward um candidates and then the full commission gets an opportunity to weigh in mm -hmm. so that would be you know one approach that could be taken that has been consistent with um, appointments on previous boards you know the full commission will make the decision but the mayor sort of um, calls through um, lists of people that are interested and, and brings forth names to be considered that would be one approach and then um, I just want to reiterate what uh, Casey Toomey said. If you have an interest in striking that sentence about um, residency requirement, that is certainly within the, the purview or the will of, it's, it's up to the commission. And I brought it up with the intent of wanting to strike it. I, the fact that we're going to be giving names or it'll be assumed in the process that we would provide names to the mayor for consideration. I think it should be based on a consideration if these individuals are members of boards. They've taken up the mantle to participate in a board or a commission. I think creating a barrier where a barrier is not necessarily needed or preemptively creating a barrier limits the pool of candidates we may have. So more adding that little language as opposed to striking it. Adding, are you suggesting adding resident and or business owner? No, I, I mean, I'd say we just strike it. But I mean, I'm okay. I'm, I'm open to hear from others. I'm, I'm only one. Form is, consensus is three. Yeah, I'm fine with following um, the idea that is, if they have a business and so they work here in Lawrence, I'm fine with that. 
Fine by me? Fine by me. <laughs> uh, anything else? Mm-mm. Um, I did want to, as Commissioner Sellers pointed out, um, and I and I did clarify also with um, staff. Um, I'm I'm happy to hear all of the recommendations that anyone has, and there is a way to do that um, within the within our rules. Um, and uh, simply send those suggestions to me without sending them to all of us, and that will be allowed. Um, I am not a gatekeeper in this space, as maybe has been suggested by others who do not understand what the process is. Um, I in no way feel that way. I've got two weeks left, and I'm, I have, I have uh, appointments are a real struggle, and I am certainly by no means feeling that I'm 100% responsible for this. I want to hear what you all say. And in transition to our, our next mayor, um, certainly feel comfortable in, in having a good working relationship and thinking about what we need on this board. So. I just want to make a quick note. My rationale for wanting to strike it is that if the person is serving as a chair or vice chair on a board of commission, then it's already been shown that if they're not a resident, then they more than likely. So for example, somebody who is on the planning commission who is a county appointee, not a city appointee, for example, is that what you're suggesting, for example? That or someone that doesn't live in city limits, but they have a business that's in city limits and they serve on a board and they're a board chair. Again, That's a possibility. We, we have add. a couple of folks who are, who fit that description that may want to be a part of this. So that's why I said if we strike it, then that's one less barrier to allowing that person to be put into the pool of candidates for consideration. And they do own a business here? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think, but if we add it, same, same result. Yeah, I mean, it's not, yeah, neither of are of a controversial nature, so. Well, I guess considering that we get correspondence or messages from people all over the country who care very much about what's happening in Lawrence, Kansas, in spite of the fact that they live in Boston, I guess I would want to be clear (laughs) that uh, that people live here, that it matters to them, that the consequences are theirs as well. And uh, and I certainly am, in as much as um, I have any influence, I'm, I'm definitely interested in, in the people who have had a lot of experience on boards in the past. There's no shortage of, of people who have been on our boards in the past um, who've had some really good experience um, sure. and are very qualified. I mean, if, if folks so, are going to be more comfortable with adding the business piece, I'm, for the sake of the community members, in addition to the five existing board members, I'm not opposed to it. My idea is that I just don't want to create a barrier. Yeah. Uh, so business and or work in Lawrence. Yep. Add that caveat. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Legal, make it legally. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Um, Vice Mayor Larson, what, repeat what you said. Um, that they be required to live in Lawrence, have a business in Lawrence, or work in Lawrence. Some sort of attachment like that to and Lawrence. I, I just was making the distinction between working or owning a business. I wasn't sure which one I was hearing from all of you. I think all three. You're open to all three. 
Well, it looks like Sherry's to... trying to chime in. Well, I don't think currently any of our boards allow for someone who just works in right. Lawrence. No, they have to have a business. a business. Own a business. Yeah. Right. I would say so, show. Oh, so sorry. If, if, you, um, if, if I may, Mayor, if, if you were to remove that section, it would be, or just that one sentence, it does then it would say any the five existing board or commission chairs and then three community members if community members doesn't feel specific enough for it for living here so you could either adopt it removing the sentence or just say um res, or update it to say shall reside within the city limits or own a business within the city limits those are the two options the two distinctions yeah gotcha okay okay i like that okay that's cool with me yeah, let's do it. Motion. I want to make sure Casey doesn't have a frowny face. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just want to make sure that we're reflecting back. Come on. Yeah. I'll include it in the motion if you would. Okay. There we go. <laughs> I move we adopt resolution 7456, establishing a committee to study and make recommendations to the governing body regarding specific aspects of the structure in all boards and commissions with the amendment in section three that each committee member shall reside within the city limits of the city of Lawrence or own a business within the city limits. Second. We have a first and second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 That passes five to zero. Thank you everyone. Thank you, Casey. Um, we'll get um, huh? names to the mayor. Yeah. And then we'll bring back uh, um, those appointments just for normal. Great. Wonderful. That brings us to commission items. Are there any items commissioners would like to bring up at this time? I have a commission item I'd like to bring up. Um, one is a point of personal privilege. Um, we've talked a little bit around Camp Woody, and I know some folks in the community may or may not know the significance of Woody Park, um, but Mr. Um, Elgin Woody did pass away a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. and um, I've had the opportunity to kind of dig in real deep to um, his family story, and there is just so much significance in his family and the history here in Lawrence and uh, not just what he's done in regards to um, providing an avenue for black children and other children but black children access to baseball and softball um, but the significance of the area where um, Woody Park is. Um, I was just recently at the Negro Leagues Museum and there is a wonderful piece that highlights the significance that Lawrence had in Negro League games and what has culminated into um, night games for Major League Baseball and that actually started here in Lawrence um, in Woody Park and that when the Negro League teams would come here to play and they would play, it would be close to evening time it was their ingenuity that started evening games, night games. So we would not have night games in Major League Baseball if it wasn't for night games being initiated um, in the Negro Leagues. And, and that is in Kansas City, and there is a nice study ab uh, about that. So I know there's, there's been history with the family and our community and LMH around um, um, memorializing that with a marker. Um, I don't know where that process is. I don't even want to, I'm not even bringing it up right now but I just want to remind us that as we 
recognize these historical nuggets of, of the rich and diversity of our community, um, that we make sure we reach back and engage families in this. Um, oftentimes we get really excited about wanting to do something because we think it's the right thing to do and we forget about the family. And um, in the community that has done a lot of this work before, we thought it was a great idea to do it. So just wanted to take a point of personal privilege to rec uh, recognize the life um, that was um, Coach Woody, Elgin Woody, um, who um, passed away um, several weeks ago, a couple weeks on October 11th, so that piece. Um, my second point is that I would like to bring up for the commission uh, to discuss ordinance number 9684. That is our ordinance um, in regards that it uh, addresses section 1-206 of code as it relates to terms of office. We've talked about this as it relates to the task force in the form of government. I know there was there was a question posed to our legal team in regards to how do we, to uh, um, if we could do this as an amendment to ordinance, which we can. Specifically, what I want to look at is that we do um, have in um, ordinance that um, first and second and or the top two vote getters get four years. Second place gets two. I don't know. I don't want to get to the origin story of that, but I think it deserves a revisit, and um, I would like to uh, bring, have that brought back to the commission to discuss uh, possible amendments uh, to that section. So your question is entirely about um, the two-year term and changing it to a four-year term? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Or at least discussions of that, but presumably changing is it to a four-year term. interested in that? I am. What did you say? I am. <laughs> well, I guess I'm also interested in, in bringing back the entire discussion of of uh, if we're going to put anything on the ballot for next year. I, I know the particular the particular resolution failed on a kind of a two two one vote, <laughs> uh, but if we and one of the reasons I think is you know we didn't go with the recommendation, which is understandable, um, but we didn't have enough time to consider the other possibilities and I think i i mean i I hear what you're saying and, and it, I, but I think it's also part and parcel of a of a discussion of um, are we going to put anything forward, and how does that relate? So that relate? I mean, I'd like to bring back, you know, maybe both of those at the same time, um, just to to see if we're going, and not to say we couldn't do one without the other, or uh, maybe the decision still is not to put anything on the ballot, but we could consider changing that ordinance, or maybe we do, you know, we, we put them in combination. So I'd be interested in that discussion, and I think we probably need to start it, you know, sooner rather than later, if we're going to put something on, you know, um, for discussion after the first of the year. I'm not opposed to that. I definitely want to bring the mayor and the district stuff back for sure um, early, like you said, for sure. Thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. That's fine with me. January. That's a January problem. <laughs> January problem. <laughs> That's a January problem. Are we trying to make it a January problem? Because I wasn't trying to make this a January problem. Well, I thought we had kind of discussed looking at that at the beginning of the year anyway. Did I misunderstand that from our previous conversations? I have some early memories. I mean, we said it, but I mean, <laughs> the discussion is a discussion. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know we said 2023, but. Well, December's filling up pretty quick, so. Uh -huh. but <laughs> yeah, it is. Yes, it is. Um, and so I guess I just look for the staff to bring it back 
No later than January. I'm fine with that. As it fits in. As long as it gets on the TBD with a possible date, I'm fine with that. And so I'm clear we're talking about bringing back in January section one dash two. I mean, it I didn't no want to bring it back or in. Are we talking about the governing? <laughs> I mean, the form of government bigger conversation. Right. Yeah, both so of them. Been both of now, them so. coming back. Okay. But I could see how we. You know, I think we might talk about them at the same time, but I could see how we might decide to do one without the other. Exactly. For me, it yeah. doesn't have to be January, January, February, but <laughs> I don't want January quarter. or February. Mm -hmm. I, the, first what, what I was bringing up specifically first was quarter. to be discussed mm -hmm. before January. So I, and I, that's why I brought it up is because I wanted it to be discussed before January. Oh. So if there's no consensus on that, I accept that, but I don't want the two to be conflated. I don't want my part to be hijacked to say, oh, we'll talk about it in January, February. I don't want this to be discussed in January, February. I want it to be discussed possibly before the end of the year. But if there's no consensus for that, then let the record reflect that we want to discuss this sometime form of government sometime in first of January because we did not give a date when we discussed that we just said sometime in 2023 so if we want to talk about form of government and all of its bits and pieces then let it be on the record that we're planning to discuss it sometime in January we want to discuss it in January great thank you Sherry Coast Casey we're good I'm good <laughs> we didn't answer. Here I've got so it. Just, I'm, I'm, I'm done talking, so mm -hmm. someone else. We hadn't established a date particularly other than what we'll talk about it in 2023. Now I think we're suggesting we would be comfortable to see it sometime in January. Jerry, are you good? Yes. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Any other commission items? I just got one. We've had on our to-do to to be determined list for dates of. Um, oh, I, maybe I should wait for future agenda items. Oh, this is a future agenda. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. I guess I was um, just on commission items. I know we talked earlier about. I know Jeff had talked to Rick about you know ongoing conversations. Um, and I know that that work is in progress, and it sounds like that conversation has happened. Um, but can you just keep us up to date on those conversations as they go forward, as well as the public? Absolutely. And I, I um, you know, uh, Mr. Rimfro's comments about that Jeff said we're working on it. I, I, I anticipate it is as soon as we can get folks hired. Um, but yeah, we'll definitely provide that that okay. update. Thank you. And I guess on a related note. Um, you know, we did get the letter from the the businesses, and you know, they talked a little bit tonight about being you know part of the solution. I'm not just not sure if anyone from staff has reached out to them, and I know there was the meeting the other day on Monday, um, but we'd certainly like to make sure staff's working on a response to that and and g giving them the update, and then you know communicating again. I think we all, but let's make sure we're doing that. Can do. Any other commission items? City manager's report. There's none. I uh, don't have any items to highlight, but uh, the future agenda's memo is there. Oh, the future. Oh, city manager report. Yeah, duh. There it is. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
God. Um, yeah, future. We've had on the to be determined list for well over maybe even two years. The, the plastic bag, single use plastic bag issue, and I was wondering if there would be interest in having that come before us before the end of the year, just to to um, take care of it. It's been hanging out there for a long, long time. I thought we sent that back to the commission. I believe it's on TBD because it was supposed to go back to the right. sustainability. 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 Left it on there for them to bring back at some time, but I so they haven't brought it back. Yet. I can confirm that. I don't. I don't know off the top of my head, but so we, we could confirm. Can that. you confirm that? Because yeah, I recall that they did not have a enforcement provision. Right. Right. And we yeah. said, well, we'd like to see that before, so we understood what we were dealing with, and we haven't seen that yet. Yeah, I hadn't seen I'd, I had didn't know if it had come across yet or not. Yeah. So, uh, um, we can get an update to yeah. include in the next city manager's report as just a status update on where that item is, if that okay. would, would suffice, and then we can go from there. Okay. Sounds good. Yep. Anything else? This is a public comment item. Is there any public comment on this item? Hi, this is Chris Flowers. Um, I kind of agree with Commissioner Larson that this plastic bag thing's been going on a long time. I, 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 I would like to see a, a conclusion to this thing happening. Kind of, I mean, within the few next few months, maybe. Also, I believe under future agenda items for the first week of um, December, there's going to be on the on the one of those upcoming agendas the new election of a mayor. Um, we just talked about the the mayor appointing people like if if this next mayor is going to be appointing a whole bunch of people to a board shouldn't y'all be voting on the mayor who would do the best job of appointing people just something to think about thank you any other public comment on this is there any public comment online no mayor Great. Um, that brings us to calendar items. Is there anything that needs to be added to the calendar? I'm not seeing anything. All right. That brings us to the adjournment. Move to adjourn. Second. <laughs> I have a first and second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 That passes five to zero. Thank you, everyone.